The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. The story of our year. What happened? Where did it go? <laughs> Here's a quick tour. We started the year, if you remember, in the fall, waiting for our newest addition to the staff and prepared to meet the folks who would come through the door, who would be new to our congregation, all the gorgeous, familiar faces, too, that we hadn't seen during pandemic, as each slowly found their way back. Reverend Laura Shenham did indeed come in September, thank God, and we welcomed her with arms wide open and a list of hopes and dreams, way too many of which she managed to actually get done this year, and she's still standing, miracles abound. We welcomed a baby, Shannon and Will Warto's daughter, Tess Dawn Warto, born on January 31st, and we lost. As you heard, even this morning, some beloved members. But it was always an honor to hear about the incredible lives that each of them had lived, the rich services of remembrance filled with stories and celebration. In our larger ministry, we welcomed the Reverend Millie Phillips as an affiliated community minister, enjoying her preaching and her presence at UUSF, but also taking credit, as we must, in some of her work in the larger world where she serves in Contra Costa County as a faith-rooted organizer for the Faith Alliance for Moral Economy. And so her passions for economic justice and the larger world's health and wholeness is part of our work in the world. And when all our ducks are in a row, which they will be soon, we will formally announce and vote on including the Reverend Shannon Fong as an affiliated minister of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of San Francisco. Shannon, are you here right now? All the way in the back, if you don't already know Shannon. Woo! Shannon got a grant from the Hinckley Fund for an innovative ministry that we are going to be invited to be a part of, which is super exciting, so stay tuned and yay. In April, we welcomed the Reverend Meg, ooh, she was just the Meg McGuire back for an ordination that we did in conjunction with the First U Church of Columbus, Ohio. So joining us in person was Meg's childhood minister, the retired minister, Marco Bellatini, who had served in this community the first place he had been called to serve, hired to serve, the first out gay clergy person in our entire denomination, and the man who was part of compiling the gray hymnal that sits in front of you that we draw so much joy from. This circle back to our history was mirrored in the book, the publication of John Buren's history of First Unitarian Universal Society of San Francisco called A Religious Center with a Civic circumference, Unitarians in San Francisco since 1850. And it talked of all the hard chapters, but all the triumphs and beauty too, that we could draw sustenance from. And not to be outdone in a competitive spirit, Skinner House book published my collection of essays, 
or the ones I edited and drew together reflections on parenting and caring for young lives in our lives and all the questions around that with contributions from some of our leading lights in the denomination. We searched for an intern but didn't find one. Seminary enrollment was down during the pandemic, so we're ready to start looking again next year. But we also took the time this year to engage in some thoughtful reflection as part of our eighth principle work. With board support, the personnel chair, Lori Ludwig and I, all three of us, Kathleen Queneville is the chair of that committee, worked with Agility Consulting, an organization that took us through a review of our hiring practices, interviewed staff and lay leaders, and helped us look at how we could ensure greater equity in our hiring practices but also how we could broaden and deepen the way we sought out and interviewed talent with the goal of attracting and keeping the most talented staff possible that could reflect and serve the congregation we want to be. The expression of our eighth principle commitment was mirrored by so many others this year. In the passing of the eighth principle, you will recall this congregation made a commitment to being accountable for dismantling white supremacy in our world, in our hearts, and our institutions. And that took shape this year in so many ways. If there's one theme, one piece of our mission, we stepped into again and again with courage, humility, and a learning mindset, it was this. Among the work we did, our Journey Toward Wholeness Racial Justice Select Committee met monthly, coordinated programming, and put up a series of curated resources on our website for folks in their self-guided journey of understanding and learning about racism and white supremacy. In October, that group hosted a two-day workshop with co-author of The Eighth Principle, Paula Cole-Jones, Paula helped us explore and unpack the cultural adjustments and changes that are part of a shift from status quo to the beloved congregations we hope and are committed to become. This fall, we introduced the oops, ouch, and woe practices to our staff, board, and many of our lay leaders and committees as a way to name dynamics of all kinds of experiences of hurt or harm and moments of our own stumbles in real time. That tool got picked up and used in ways that were shared back to the congregation in some shared moments of learning and healing. It also was part of the work that happened between people in intimate moments, all of which were building a culture that can learn and grow together. In fact, another thing we did this year was to hire Aisha Hauser, UU religious educator. Aisha was a co-creator along with Christina Rivera and Kenny Wiley of the teaching materials to support UU congregations in understanding and fighting against white supremacy. Aisha helped us through figuring out how to have conversations and weather complicated moments as we do this work. She said, the goal is not that we cease to hurt one another. Racism and other forms of oppression are too omnipresent to deeply too deeply embedded in ways that are not easy to just pluck up and get rid of. The goal is to foster a congregation of people who are resilient in the face of grappling with these moments. We are growing better already at what restoration and healing, real restoration and real healing look like. 
with leadership from our board, especially our moderator's vision, our right relations team of members and staff was trained and will be invited in the next year to help members navigate some of our hard conversations around racial harm and other covenantal concerns. A white allies group began in February that has met three times to discuss as a caucus group how to understand our own role in white supremacy culture and as allies to dismantle it and reframe our own thinking as well as the world we participate in. And this spring, with a grant from our own Hinckley Funds, Star King School of the Ministry developed the WEAVE program, W-E-A-V, a small group-based program that inspires participants to become agents of sacred social change. Star King asked our congregation to pilot the program, and two small groups just finished yesterday that piloting gathered feedback for revisions, and I, um, we'll join Reverend Rosemary Bray McNatt at the UU General Assembly in Pittsburgh later this month in a workshop to roll that program out. Books were read, there were forum gatherings with topics that reflected our larger eighth principle commitment, worship services with topics to challenge and invite our thinking and growth witness events. Our nascent women's reproductive rights group hosted the Reverend Daniel Kalin Cantor, Senior Minister of the First Unitarian Church in Dallas in October to preach and be part of a full-day program of education around the world of sacred, the spiritual alliance of committees, communities for reproductive dignity, which Reverend Cantor founded along with a group of religious leaders all committed to reclaiming moral language and public discourse to advance the cause of reproductive justice. In the face of the rollback of abortion rights, sacred is not just committed to women's ability to make decisions about our reproductive lives and bodies, but also that those who have children to have access to childcare, those who decide to be biological parents to have guarantee of neonatal care and a larger embrace of healthy and moral commitments to our life as caretakers of our new life in our world, we will vote at our annual meeting to formally align, that's not the word, with sacred. There was an RE retreat to plan the year with Reverend Laura. Our children and youth kicked off the year with a waffle breakfast, had a Halloween party, made latkes at Hanukkah, and hunted eggs at Easter. So many traditions they love. But there were new classes and traditions to deepen their spiritual exploration and moral formation. The middle school and high school went on a field trip to an escape room and never escaped. <laughs> They're still there? They're still there. Selena <laughs> Lane, Selena Lane from the Faithful Fools came and met with our youth once a month. Alicia Cover joined the RE staff. Joe Chapeau transitioned off to new adventures, and Alicia's hours increased mercifully to try and fill just a part of Joe's big shoes. In February, we welcomed our unhoused neighbors for three weeks. Twenty-some pre-dawn mornings, you gathered in our kitchen to scramble eggs and make toast and huge vats of coffee and serve our guests so they started the day fed and taken care of. And there were dinners, too that groups signed up to make, including Ben Bear's OTT Jambalaya, as we welcomed 70 men and also a handful of women this year and made our home theirs. 
We had an auction with the theme of homecoming, and you dressed for the occasion. And we had a blast. We even raised some money. Doing well while doing good is something we are good at. We had a holiday fair of food and gifts and wreaths and cookies and more time together as we got used to being the way we used to be, together and increasingly relaxed and safer by the month. We also decorated and hung greens and sang our way through the solstice, and some of you gathered for full moon circles and other times to mark the passage of the ritual of the wheel of the year led by our pagan interest circle. There were worship services on any number of topics, including God, and we survived. <laughs> Ones about art, Sean and Fong led us through a stunning Lunar New Year service, talking about a song, two different renditions of a song that is sung in that time of year and the layers of meaning of those renditions. There were reflections by our deep, thoughtful, funny, and wise worship associates. And so much extraordinary music. The organ was there to shake our internal organs and bones. <laughs> the choir moved us to tap our feet and struggle to hold back tears. The bells, just like this morning, always moved us to joyful applause with their gorgeous playing, but especially those dramatic endings. There was a parade of stunning and gifted guest musicians, some of the best voices and instrumentalists of the Bay Area, and those passing through, too. And this spring, a worship advisory team has been meeting to look at who and what we need and want to include in our worship calendar that will reflect who we are among us now and who we need to become. And you filled out the surveys that helped us to navigate those conversations. And none of this happens without financial resources. To that end, thanks again to the leadership of Dolores and David who kicked off and nearly we are finished with this annual giving that we do each year where we raise the funds that not only runs the church that serves itself, but that serves all of the communities and people who pass through here in a year, who come to us in moments of need, where we fix a building that was flooded twice this year in the rains and so much else. The gardens along Star King Way have been made new, saying very, very clearly that some ones are back in the building and something is happening here worth checking out. And the tattered banners that came down during pandemic when so much of life got rolled up a little, the banners with their crowd-sourced words and phrases went up on the corner where Geary splits into Star King Way. In so many ways, we are back. A hundred people in the pews or more most Sundays, 50 online. Almost a thousand subscribers to our live stream. When before pandemic, we were begging friends and distant family to sign up so we could get a hundred, so we could change the name from a series of numbers and letters to UUSF Media on our YouTube channel. 
And this spring, our COVID advisory team that met weekly to look at all of the numbers and warnings and information that was out in the world with a safety and health lens. Can people from the COVID advisory team who are here raise your hands? I see Judith and Larry, both of whom are public health professionals. Lori, who is, um, does science and research into COVID teams. Linda Harris, who's a nurse. We had people with such expertise that were really agonizing to make sure we could do beautiful worship and beautiful community life and keep you all safe. And that group finally decided that the numbers and with the mask mandates lifted even in hospitals that, that we no longer had to meet anymore. And on Easter, a day of resurrection, we told ourselves we didn't need to be masked, though we were welcome to stay masked as people feel the urge and need to. And flesh is coming back to life, blood into our limbs in every way. There's a lot of good work, there's a lot of good learning, there's a lot of good service and gorgeousness of connection and care to attend to, and we are ready. We made it through. Everyone now, touch wood. We made it through. So what did I, what did we forget to name? Because we don't wanna forget something worth naming as we look back over this year. I have the great orange microphone that looks like it's from the Muppets. <laughs> Any... As Vanessa is doing that, she skipped over a little bit. She also became the chair of the board of the Interfaith Council of San Francisco, oh, the first time a Unitarian Universalist led that organization in over 30 yeah. years. Yeah. We were also able to grant her two months of sabbatical, and hopefully she'll take some more in the next coming year. And with her gorgeous leadership, we all did this together as well. Thank you. Yes, the heretics are in charge of the Interfaith Council. Watch out. Uh, we repointed the bricks on the tower with the help of uh, financing by Merle Easton. And Merle's trained as an architect with engineering, so it wasn't just, it was also the masterminding of that. Uh, our volunteers helped serve uh, 325 families um, through the Interfaith Food Pantry, and that happens about once a month, but um, I want to particularly thank Ben Bear, who is my co-chair, because he's there almost every Saturday, and he really helped us get through. I just want to say something about on the blessing of the animals we, we had for the first time uh, in three years, and also the wonderful new landscaping because the trees and all the bushes look so terrible, but now everything looks much better. Thank you. Forgive me if I missed this and you already hit it, but the retreat was wonderful to have back. And I know we had it last year too, but it was really nice to have that post-COVID. I missed that a lot during the COVID years. And thank you to all the people who put it together because it's a lot of work to plan. 
There was so much talent at the talent show, I just want to tell you all. Yeah, there were some transcendent moments of various kinds this year. Anyone else? Yes, we should, we should say a thank you to all the generous people who contributed gifts for the women in Copenhagen. They were received with great appreciation. And next week, there's a chance to buy some of the things they made to support the Women's Cooperative in, in Johannesburg. Lynn Harris, do you want to say something maybe also about the Caring Committee, which was, did extraordinary work? where we have people that meet weekly who are trained in pastoral care, our lay chaplains, who do everything from check in on people, send them cards, help them go to the hospitals, sometimes like intervening with social workers and doctors to make important medical decisions and show up in, in crucial times in their health care. I think you did a great job of that, Vanessa. But this is one of our ways of trying to make real the fact that every single Sunday we pledge to help one another. And so this is helping one another made real in the world. And if anybody wants to volunteer for something less than every week stuff, but that once in a while you want to bring a hot meal to somebody who is, um, who is ill, or walk with a senior who's afraid to walk by themselves, or you know, just give a call to somebody who um, could use a caring ear at a difficult time. Please let us know. We're on the help wanted ad too. And also, I wanted to um, let you know that as it has been every single Wednesday, uh, or almost every single Wednesday, including through the pandemic, we have a group of people who have been making witness to the world out in front of our church about our moral witness about things like immigration and gun violence and Black Lives Matter and a million, you know, saving our planet for the next generation. And we'd love to have any of you join us who would like. Eight to nine in the morning. Eight to nine in the morning. Okay. Let's just take one minute and turn to the person next to you and tell them what you're most proud of or grateful for in this year just past. That's right. 
The Flower Communion Story. The story is adapted from Teresa and David Schwartz with additions from Wikipedia. Norbert Chopik was born on June 3, 1870, into a Roman Catholic family in Bohemia. As a boy, he wanted to join the priesthood. However, he soon became disillusioned with the church. At 18, he apprenticed to his uncle, who was a successful tailor in Vienna. And during this time, Norbert discovered the Baptist and became a minister. He founded almost a dozen churches from Ukraine to Budapest. Yet, slowly, his faith became more and more liberal. He left Bohemia under government threat and accepted a call to serve a Baptist church in New York City. But in 1919, he wrote in his diary, I cannot be a Baptist anymore, even in compromise. The fire of new desires, new worlds is burning inside me. Norbert and his wife, Maya Chopik, found and joined a Unitarian church in New Jersey in 1921. This faith fit them. Once World War I ended and the Chopik's home country became independent, Norbert and Maha chose to return home to Czechoslovakia. There they founded a Unitarian church called the Prague Liberal Religious Fellowship, and it began to thrive. To lead this church, however, required some creative rethinking of what he had been taught as a minister. For instance, the traditional Christian community service of bread and wine wouldn't meet the needs of his congregation because his church, like ours, had people who believed different things. To find a ritual that would fit his congregation, Chapek turned to the beauty of the countryside, to the beauty of flowers. In 1923, he developed what he called the flower ceremony. He asked his congregants to bring a flower to church from their gardens the field, or the roadside. He invited each person to place their flower in a vase. There, in the vase, he pointed out, was a symbol of the church community, no person giving up what made them unique, but together, beautiful and rich. Following the service, Chapik would this time invite each person to take a flower with them, taking, he hoped, a different one than they had brought. In that second ritual was a reminder of something else, how community and life together changes us, how we bring our gifts and talents, our commitments to this community or any other, and then we're blessed and enriched by others and what they bring. We offer one thing, we take away another. All of it gorgeous, all of it life-giving. Chopik was a visionary minister with a church that was ahead of its time, a bold church that took risks and made tough decisions and bore disappointments, all in an effort to build a new way together. First they built a church, and then that was going to be a church that would build the world. In 1942, the Gestapo arrested Norman Chopik. 
The Nazis drummed up a somewhat flimsy excuse and accused him of listening to foreign broadcasts, which he probably did, and sent him to the Dachau concentration camp. Despite all that he faced in the camp, Chopik, we are told, held a flower ceremony with his fellow prisoners, each finding whatever flower or bloom they could among the weeds of the camp, testifying even then to a larger beauty in the world, something larger and more beautiful than themselves, and also to their unity, to their commitment to a life together, to be free to be themselves, better and more extraordinary for that freedom and diversity. Even in the face of all that was bent on destroying them, they testified in ritual to this. Ultimately, the Nazis killed Norman Chapek. However, his wife, Maya, brought the flower ceremony to the United States, to the Unitarian Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1940. Now, many churches end the year with it. It stands as a reminder of who we are as a liberal religious community. What we are doing this together this morning is both a reminder of our history and the legacy of courage and commitment we inherit, but it's also an affirmation of how we exist in a community of values, of devotion to the power and beauty of congregational life, and community that has enabled and emboldened generations of struggle for ever-widening liberty. This flower ceremony, which it's the 100th anniversary of, lovely though it is, isn't a diversion from ugly reality, even those around us now, but speaks to a gentle fierceness which proclaims that in the midst of sinister days, there is always, always a power and a beauty we can acclaim and affirm, and we find part of that power and beauty here in what we are, and what we make, and what we stand for together. Today, we celebrate this ritual of solemnity and joy. As Chopek asked his people to, to bring a flower to the ceremony and see what they make of their individual gifts, we did this morning as Chopek asked his people to take another as they leave, a reminder of how community changes us, what it gives us and what we carry forward from it, so will we. During the music that is sung by our choir, those, particularly those who are going to leave right after service, we invite you to come and take a flower that you will take with you today. For those who are staying for the lunch and the annual meeting, we want you to know we'll put the bouquets out in the gallery so as you leave the meeting today, you can take one with you. And perhaps you can use the time to think of one way you may have been deepened this year, one gift, one moment, one friendship, one question that won't leave you alone that you take with you. <laughs> 